0: Good evening everybody this is rich duncan with ink heist and i'm joined by my co-host shane douglas Keane and tonight we're excited to welcome brennan lafaro to the show um whose debut novella slattery falls is out through silver shamrock we have kenneth kane and ken mckinley and we're so excited to have all of you guys on it's going to be a great conversation i think this might be a uh, one of our biggest episodes in terms of uh, guests, and um, yeah, how are you guys doing?
1: Good. It's nice tight pitting here, trying
0: to get some elbow room.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you.
0: Um, so yeah, um, for a Rich long here. time, listen, his fucking closet. <laughs> no, i <I'm>, to <laughs> this time, I. This time I upgraded to the uh, spacious extra bedroom, but I had to unplug their conditioner. So it's not any more comfortable, <laughs> but um, yeah, for, uh, <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, um, for long time listeners, um, Ken McKinley, he's returning to the show, um, the publisher of silver shamrock. Um, so Brennan and Ken, uh, Kenneth, since you guys are new, we usually have you guys do kind of a uh, new kid at school speech, just a little bit about yourselves, your work, and what anything else you'd like uh, listeners to know. So uh, Brennan, we'll kick things off with you.
3: All right, uh, new, new kid at school speech, so I am Brennan LaFaro, I am a reviewer turned author trying to kick that first label a little bit and, you know, just focus on uh, my writing and getting things out there for the world to see. And as you mentioned in the intro, um, Slattery Falls is my first novella. It's coming out as we record this. It's coming out in about four days on July 20th. And uh, honestly, I am this lovely combination of excited is all hell and you know brimming with nerves but uh you know i'm i'm really psyched to see it get out in the world and uh see what
4: what people think about it and you got it with the right publisher too um yeah a lot of people already know about it and that's a good thing to have happen before your book
0: comes out Mm -hmm. and uh kenneth how about you
5: uh, I am a uh, an author, editor, graphic designer, whatever, whatever you guys want me to be. I just try to help out, <laughs> and uh, you know, just whatever. I have a book out recently from Death Reborn through Kenneth Silver Shamrock. Uh, I have another one coming out later this fall from uh, Journalstone, and uh, and I and we have Beyond coming out Midnight from Beyond the Stars coming out this year soon. So we've been busy. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I know um, I'm looking forward to reading all of those and uh, especially um, the midnight from beyond the stars, because I'm like obsessed with aliens. So when I saw that that was coming out, uh, I've been pretty much following that for updates uh, pretty much since the beginning.
5: <laughs> yeah, that cover uh, definitely <sighs> helps the inspiration.
4: It does. Um <laughs> I wrote I, I wrote a really badass story for that, but it ended up being twelve thousand words long, so I decided I would just go ahead and bag it <laughs> for this run.
2: <laughs>
4: it happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, So, um, oh, go ahead, Shane.
4: Well, I was just gonna say, for um, you know, I mean, last time Ken was on, we had like three listeners, and we've got six now, so we should probably have <laughs> Ken do the spiel too. <laughs> Um, especially yeah that's a good a,
2: point
4: definitely
1: busy so um your turn ken so i'm ken mckinley i am the owner seat i don't know what would you call me uh editor-in-chief of silver shamrock publishing um i dabble in writing from time to time itself so, uh yeah we're busy we're typically kicking out between two and three releases a month so um, it's been that way for the last couple of years, and you know I couldn't do it without my my partner in crime Kenneth Kane over there. He he makes things go a lot smoother.
4: Um, yeah, and a hell of an editor. Uh, Very much. I've had the pleasure to work with uh, Kenneth a few times now, especially with uh, um one of us, but um Ken. Kenneth has also been something of a champion of mine, that, which, is a, which is greatly appreciated because I'm not. Yeah, anytime. anytime. <laughs> we
5: have to be champions of each other. All John. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, one thing that I uh, wanted to kind of ask, especially this is a unique situation where you know we have an author and their publisher on at the same time um and their editor um so brennan um i was curious you know with slattery falls kind of how how you kind of came up with this story um and if you kind of want to talk about your journey and um submitting it to silver shamrock and then uh ken and kenneth um after if you want to kind of fill in you know kind of your perspective on the process and kind of, you know, what you had uh, thought of Slattery Falls when you first read it.
5: Well, just to start off, this one started off, uh, this one went through it a little differently and uh, Ken edited this one. Uh, Oh, okay. So Ken McKinley edited edited this one. So he edits, uh, whenever he can find some free time, he edits a few books.
2: Awesome.
5: Make sure you take credit for that, man.
2: <laughs> well let's make out
1: of bombs, but I'm gonna blame it back on you. So how's that I'm gonna say? If
4: the if the editing sucks, it's Kane's fault.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so you know, going back to that original question, I, I actually gotta kick it back a little further than that. Um because this was uh, the, the opening chapter of this is essentially my, you know, it's been through a fair few passes and a lot of edits, but, uh, you know, both my own and uh, Ken McKinley's, but this was essentially the first thing I ever tried my hand at writing. Um, I got big into reading, you know, I, I fell out of it in high school and college, mostly because the material just wasn't catching my attention, and uh, I I wanted to try it, but I just had no idea how to write, so I just straight up didn't. You know, I would I would think about it, but I figured there was a skill set, a, a set of tools that I just didn't have, wasn't a, wasn't equipped to uh, kind of sit down and tell a story. Um, and one day I just did. I I started carrying a notebook around with me uh, to work. I'd write on my lunch break, and um, I I wrote probably the first. 50% of this book uh longhand in a notebook um wow. and, you know as far as where the idea came from and all that um it, it went through you know it it's it's mostly uh you know the first draft was mostly pantsed um and i started out with the idea of um if if anybody's seen the movie as above so below Uh, it's one of my favorite horror movies, uh, this found footage in the Paris catacombs and it just, you know, the, the characters just keep going deeper, deeper. It's, you know, and, and things start to become just impossibly weird. And my, my thought, because I'm such a big fan of, you know, ghost stories and haunted houses is what if we had a haunted house that had a basement that essentially, essentially functioned like that, where, um, there's just no limit to it where it, there's twists and there's turns and there's, you know, gravity defying shit going on. Um, and so I started writing this story, not knowing whether it was a novel, probably not even knowing a novella was a thing at the time or, you know, what the hell it was. Um, and sent these characters up to, uh, you know, this house with this basement. Um, and in the original, I was, I think I was going to have these characters stumble across, you know, this house and get killed by it, and I, I wrote probably about 10 pages, and I said, fuck it, I love these guys. I really enjoy writing the, uh, the back and forth between, uh, these two main characters, Travis and Josh, and, you know, they became, from there, uh, the focus of the book, um, the heart and soul of the book, and until they, uh, needed, A third wheel on their tricycle, and that came in the form of Elsie, who, you know, I, I I didn't want to add a third character that would disrupt the dynamic. And, you know, I, 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 I didn't really feel for a second that, you know, when I added her into the story that it was just because, you know, two characters can't hold up a form that's going on as long as this one does or anything like that. I felt like she came in organically and I, you know, I ended up love loving writing her too. Um, so, you know, the story just kind of went from there. Um, I sent it in to Ken. I, I specifically remember, you know, him reaching out one night and um, basically saying, let's talk about this book. And, you know, he's saying, you know, you got you got good dialogue. A lot of people struggle with that. You got good characters. Uh, And, you know, then he started talking about some, you know, first time writer issues, Uh, not to go too hard on myself, some 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 things that would need to be cleaned up for it to be published. And, you know, I think we talked for probably like a half hour uh, through through texts and. You know, I'm thinking, okay, I got to go back to the drawing board, rework this thing, and you know, get it, get it, you know, fucking polished and good to go. And he said, you know, and then he follows that up with, you know, I, I want it. Um, so you know, after I cleaned up my shit pants, um, it it was just, it's an unreal feeling, you know, because I'm, I'm still so new to this. I'm trying to handle this. I wrote a story that I love, but you know, had absolutely no idea how that would translate to somebody who wasn't living inside my head, uh, reading it. So, I mean, with that, I'll throw it to anybody else who wants it.
1: (laughs) 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 All right. So I'll, I'll take the, the wheel from here. All right. So a little bit of history between Brennan and I, um, one of the great things about this industry is a lot of us are friends. Some of the one of the worst things about this industry is a lot of us are friends. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> and you know, through reviews and, you know, getting to be friends with each other and then all of a sudden we we start doing podcasts and stuff together and um running kind of in the same online circles, you know, we very much knew each other. And he wanted to when he was interested in submitting this, the last thing I wanted to do was be a homer and take something just because of a friendship so truth be told i was pretty hard on (laughs) him um i i took a look at his his manuscript and it it had the bones and stuff that i was looking for um i'm not one of these ones that really enjoys much of the ghost hunter type stories because i've seen so many of them done poorly and this wasn't one of them this one was character driven and image the imagery in this one was wonderful um his writing style is clean and, and quick, but yet it like has enough meat on the bones to pull you into the story, um, and he he brings you along at a real nice pace. So, you know, there's a lot of things there for a first-time writer that he did have, he had it, you know, it was done well. Um, it was just, and I, I relate this to him, that a lot of writers... When it comes to writing, we, we write like we speak, and mm-hmm. that's not exactly the way to do it sometimes. Uh, we, we develop poor habits. So I shared with him a few things that I saw, and it was um, told him that, you know, look, it's a lot like speaking a foreign language. It's hard at first, but once you figure out the ins and outs of it, it gets easier and easier. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, second nature. And he picked it up fairly quick. Uh, it was It was really nice to see that. And I didn't let <laughs> I didn't let him know right away that I was going to take it. I kind of made him sweat it out a little bit because you know we're I like to bust his balls, but um, <laughs> I eventually let him the cat out of the bag, and <laughs> he was kind of shocked because I don't think he thought we were going there. But um, my main concern was I wanted to make sure that it held up to everything else that we were publishing, and I didn't want to be blind by friendship. So I I feel that we did well with this.
4: Um. You know, I haven't finished the whole thing. I just literally started started reading it because I have a 100 writing projects of my own, too. Um, But, yeah, it's so incredibly Silver Shamrock's thing. Um, I mean, because it's such a different story, everything about it. You know, like you say, my first thought was, yeah, Ghost Hunters. You know, and honestly, if it wasn't a Silver Shamrock book, I might not even give a second look at that point um but it's yeah ghost hunters is really 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 a very surface thing to say about this book That's just, uh, you know i mean the, even one of the characters admits that right at the beginning of the book that yeah well you know we became these but you know so mm-hmm. um it just is different on so many levels and like uh brennan said comparing it to, uh, as above so below um I didn't, hadn't made that connection yet, but I might have because I love that movie and it's just so freaky and so creepy. And that's just the, the Silver Shamrock
1: way with things. So. I think that, you know, again, he put his unique voice in there and he, he took a, a subgenre that, you know, sometimes, like I said, it, it can be oversaturated to a point. And he breathes some fresh air into it. Um, kind of like zombies. You know, we've so many zombie stories and to sit there and say, I I never want to read another zombie story again because there's nothing new. That's kind of closed minded, but I'll be honest. I went into it with kind of that mindset. I'm thinking, "Eh, I don't know, but his story forced me, forced my hand. It, Mm -hmm. there was no doubt after reading. I thought, you know, the characters and stuff are here. The imagery is here. Um, I can feel the story, and that's something you don't get in a lot of them. Most of them are paper thin, so this one was nice.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah,
4: it's a surprise, um, which is what you want out of a story like that. Otherwise, it's not going to fly
0: with the readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with, to what you said uh, to Shane and and you Ken, um, like the cool thing about it is like I had the same kind of first impression. Like I thought it was going to be. Just, like, regular ghost hunters and, you know, kind of where it would go from there. But what I really like that you did with it, Brennan, is, like, they are ghost hunters, but they're not, like, the stereotypical thing that you would think of. Um, Like, you know, all the shows, like, on TV, like, Taps or that one with Zach Baggins or whatever. It was just um like you had said ken about the characters like two friends who were kind of doing this to have fun and also to kind of you know find a way to be like closer with each other in their friendship this was something you know special they did versus you know a ghost hunting team that strictly does it you know for fame or a tv show or anything like that and uh brennan was that oh go ahead
3: uh, I was I was gonna say that was very you know conscious when I think of you know because <laughs> I I don't want to fucking read a uh, a ghost hunting book either um and you know Ken Ken has shared that with me before like oh great ghost hunters I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy this book wonderful um and you know I've already seen an early review come in uh you know saying oh I saw it was ghost hunters and you know my interest waned a little bit but uh it won me over and that was that was kind of nice to see and um I wouldn't I wouldn't hate seeing a few more of those. Like I gave it a shot because it you know was under that silver shamrock imprint or because yeah you know, for whatever reason I gave it a shot and you know it won me over. But when I think of uh ghost hunters, I I, I my mind kinda goes to the fancy equipment and I wanted to be clear of that. because um, ultimately, you know, this is uh, you know, out of the out of the two main characters, the you know, the narrator uh, doesn't have a clue about any of this, whereas his um, his new friend at the start of the book, Josh, has a, kind of an obsession with this. And, you know, we learned that the obsession is basically about, uh, you know, more of understanding than using fancy gadgets to try and capture something and put it on YouTube um, and, you know, derive fame out of that um so you know i i, I <laughs> it was a very conscious decision to leave all the knickknacks and and crap out of there um because if i'm spending uh you know uh 10 pages in each chapter just describing how evp works and how you know, oh, we caught this video of uh, a light flare, but it's really just, you know, some sort of, like, camera malfunction. That's not interesting. I'm I'm bored even talking about it right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's, honestly, that's the thing. It's the the relationship between, you know, Travis and Josh is this thing started unfolding, and, you know, their their banter back and forth even was what kind of drew me in. It's like, you know, this is... This reminds me of the people that I grew up with in college. You know, this is the type of relationships we had where we were like busting each other's chops and, you know, going back and forth, but yet having a a common interest. And (laughs) I couldn't help but think, you know, think, damn, why didn't I like, you know, think of doing my historical research and going and investigating one of these old houses and see what I could find. You know, it just seemed like, you know, it, it was really cool that. You know, they took that opportunity and turned it into something like that rather than the, you know, like what Brennan was talking about, where it's like tech speak and, you know, ooh, I saw a flash and, you know, that type of thing. It, it was it was so much different than that. That's why I really liked it.
4: And
0: awkward silence. Number one, you were going to say something, Rich. No, I, I didn't want to step on anybody else. but uh, um, Yeah, no, that, that's kind of the exact same uh, way that I felt about it. And, too, even um, like you were kind of commenting, you know, about his writing style. And, too, Brennan, you can um, chime in on this as if it was kind of like a conscious thing. Um, but what I what I really enjoyed about it was you know the way that he the main character he kind of you know it's kind of like it's a little bit of kind of just like what you would kind of expect kind of like a third person sort of thing but he's also kind of like it's a casual tone where it's almost it's not quite breaking the fourth wall but that's like the closest thing I can kind of think of to describe it um so it was very like conversational and easy to read and I wasn't sure if like that was something that you know when you originally were doing it longhand and stuff like that if that was something that you had um you know planned from the beginning or if it was something that just kind of you know came together as you were you know polishing it up and things like that
3: i, I think if the tone wasn't there from the beginning and you know to avoid sounding arrogant i'll i'll say it wasn't but uh, the attempt at the tone was uh, mostly because I wanted I wanted to try and write you know not even just something but I wanted to try and write in in general um, in that you know faux Stephen King uh, even you know Joe Lansdale style of just like sitting uh, on a bar stool next to somebody telling a story um, and you know, I, I don't know how close I've I've come to pulling off that voice, but, you know, I, I would rather... That's what I want to read, so you know, what it boils down to is that's what I want to write, you know, something that sounds like uh, your friend telling you a story. Um, and as far as, you know, breaking the fourth wall and all that, you know, it, it references early on that um, that that. Writing this down, uh, I think it's I think it's in the first or second chapter that you know in order to gain access to the house, he says that he had to promise a bunch of stuff, you know, YouTube videos, all making it all up. But um, mm-hmm. and he says you know the closest thing to record is you know what you're reading now. And I never came back to that because I, I, I didn't I didn't want to. um I didn't want to turn it into a journal that you know is you know disseminated or something like that i wanted it to almost just be more like a record he's keeping for himself
4: i suppose Mm -hmm. you know that's an interesting point too about the storytelling um um, like you're sitting next to someone at a bar or something like that because that's really the um what do i want to say it's kind of like the difference between like when i write a poem i don't want to write a poem that every fucking poet in the world wants to read i could care less i want to write a poem that read it that people want to read and the same with a story man there there are a lot of writers writers out there um but who really wants to be one of them there's a there's a shitload of writers out there but they're all you know more interest in finding readers than reading your shit, you know, <laughs> so so I that's think that's a
5: good story, though, you know yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you know you think of a story like uh, John Langan's The Fisherman, and that's almost literally what it is I told it at a bar <laughs> yep, completely and,
4: uh, and it's hard not to connect to that story because of it <laughs> so. That's yeah, that's really, really the seller for that one, you're right about that Yeah. Kudos for Brennan
5: for seeing that, you know, and making that connection, because I think that that's where a lot of us heard our first stories, is sitting around a campfire, possibly, and listening to a a relative tell a scary story, and that got us hooked, you know?
4: Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's that's really, really exactly where it happened with me, so yeah, you're right, Um, and I think that's just kind of primal in all of us, you know, someone who's very casually telling us a very, an interesting story that engages us, just kind of, we naturally, we naturally fall into place with that kind of a story, you know. You? Part, of our, you? part of our culture.
0: So. Mm-hmm. I totally sidetracked <laughs> your,
4: your point, Rich, but.
0: <laughs> no, 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 you but, didn't. Uh, he, um, he uh, Brennan answered it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say is, you know, uh, when we are on, you know, when we're doing Dead Headspace and, you know, we always kind of start episodes by asking guests, uh, you know, their first experiences with horror and storytelling and all that. And I, I always love picking the brains of people who, uh, you know, their earliest experiences are with oral storytelling, because I, I feel like that's mm-hmm. such a lost art. And I don't want to, you know, say that that was a conscious decision. I, you know, I wrote this book. I wrote the first chapter in order to revive the lost art of oral storytelling. No, but it's it's still such a wonderful form, and you know, it's it, it's going the way of the buffalo. Um, and if, if I, I I personally love you know narratives that sound like you know a buddy is just telling uh telling them whether it's you know on the bar stool next to you or like ken said uh like kenneth said uh across the campfire um i i think that style
2: yeah
0: yeah absolutely um and, you know, it's interesting that you kind of bring that up as far as it being like a uh, like a lost art sort of thing. Like, I had never really even thought about that, but you're right. I mean, it's kind of like, and this is kind of like not necessarily the same because it's not the same kinds of stories. But, you know, back before I had my daughter, like when I would go to the local bar down the road, like sometimes you would just hear people like, they you know want to tell you their life story or whatnot and sometimes you would hear like these really engaging stories um and you know complete with like maybe hand motions or whatnot and um like that's kind of what's cool about fiction is like you kind of get that same thing like you don't actually see the hand motions or anything but a lot of times you can kind of like get that same kind of vibe through the author's voice um so and that's kind of what you did and captured it really well in um in Slattery Falls um but yeah I'd never really thought about it as far as like that sort of tradition being like a uh, a lost thing But yeah.
3: um yeah bad yeah. but I, I agree
2: <laughs> Yeah
4: See this is this is why um we toyed with the idea of uh actually using our video um, so that we can take it, you know, get the the visual cues. Um, You know, know, I don't know that it's so much a lost
5: art. I just think people are constantly trying different things. I mean, you see somebody like uh, Stephen Graham Jones and how he tells a story. It's very much along that line. And, uh, Mm -hmm. And so people are constantly trying to tell stories different ways, trying to do something unique and different. And and there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes you hit upon it, but I mean, certain people certainly have that formula like down. And uh, you know, there's so many different ways to tell a good story, and uh, and you know, Brennan's on to one, and that's the way to that's the way to focus on if you're if you're there, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Go ahead, Shane.
4: Oh, I was just gonna say, abs- I absolutely agree. If that's, you know, if that's. Uh where I kind of feel like with with Brennan, and I know a lot of this is um, editor-nurturing um, because you guys have already talked about that, but like, like you came to the table with a voice already, if that makes any sense. Um, maybe, you know, um, not 100% mature, I couldn't speak to the original draft, um, but... Uh, Having that having that kind of natural feeling voice right out the gate like that, you know, like you say it, or at least the intention of, um, I think you know, really helps shape the stories that you're telling.
1: So I have no idea where I was going with that. Well, I'll pick up on that a little bit. So I think the biggest thing was, you know, when he brought that voice, it was a very engaging story. It was mm-hmm. it was literally like You know, we we're talking about the storytellers. And he had a a very engaging story to tell. And the thing that was, was very cool about it was, you know, it it wasn't forced. It didn't feel forced at all. It felt like, you know, the, like you said, the campfire stories where you're, you're telling this urban legend type thing. Like it has that most familiar feeling. For me, one of the first things that I thought of was I instantly thought about, um, uh, what's the name of the, the haunted house book from like up by Long Island? Help me out here, the famous one. Oh, uh, the Amityville? Amityville Horror, yes. Yeah. So it, it had a lot of Amityville Horror, but in a different way, where instead of it being the house, it was the protagonist that had a historical of capturing, you know, kids and all of a sudden he pops up here and there type of thing. Um, but it's, it had, like, the that classic Amityville Horror, scare the living shit out of you as you're going through this house type of thing. It just, there was there's a lot of classical horror that's in this. And that's, that was the thing that really, you know, brought me to it at this was that type of feeling.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh. Yeah. And um, Brennan, I don't know if uh, like you said that this is like one of the first things that you had uh, written. So I was just kind of curious, you know, on the other side of it now, you know, from when you were writing it down longhand in the notebook and, you know, maybe typing it up and, you know, just in the thick of working on it. And now that you're looking back at it, the whole process, now that it's, um, you know, out and everything. I was just kind of curious if you could kind of speak to what that journey like was you, for you, especially since it's, you know, like you had said, like one of the earlier things that
2: you had written. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, yeah, I. I, I, as far as you know, trying to get that feeling down early, you know, I, I, I actually don't know that it changed. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of fumbling because I'm pulling out a, a notebook I got here now, just for a small example, like the, um, the first, the first line of the book. Says when you're about to investigate one of the most notoriously haunted houses on the East Coast, there are certain expectations. One revolves around thunder and lightning, the dark and stormy night trope. Yet there we were, traveling to the Weeks House in the middle of a cool, quiet August day. No sound, no fury. Um, the literally the first thing I wrote here is is not super far off from that. When you're about to investigate one of the no- most notoriously haunted houses on the East Coast you have certain expectations. The one currently running through my head was the lack of thunder and lightning, sound and fury. Isn't this thing supposed to begin on a dark and stormy night? So, I, you know, I, I definitely... Um, w- one of the big edits was just, you know, bringing it to a computer from, you know, that longhand form, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think it really ended up changing that much, you know, throughout those drafts. Um, I, I like to think that on subsequent edits, I, you know, the voice. Ken McKinley will probably, uh, you know, argue that. But oh man, you should see the. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, but actually, I've talked. I've talked enough that I forgot the original question. If I'm honest, I,
4: I think um, though that beginning it not on a dark and stormy night was a really good decision because your editor would have kicked you right in the nuts for that. That's, that's so cliche. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Sorry.
3: Oh, no, no, deserved it, so that's fine.
1: I think am always looking for, for another reason to kick Brendan in the nuts. So. Oh
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody
0: is. Oh, uh, but yeah, Brennan, No, that that was a uh, part of it. But I was just um when I was just kind of wondering, you know, like you said, it's one of your earlier things, just. Now that it's like, out, you know, kind of, you're just your feelings about the whole process. You know, like um, you had said that it's one of the first things you had written. And, you know, you are doing the podcast and everything. So I was just kind of curious on your feelings from, you know, when you had started to write this. And it maybe was just something that, you know, you loved. And now to see it like in a fully finished form that, you know, people are going to read.
3: Oh, that there's there, there's no feeling like it. Um, you know, I, when, when I started that and I, and I began writing it longhand, you know, I would take, uh, an hour at lunch a couple days a week and I'd, and I'd scribble it down and then I'd kind of have this, like, what the hell are you doing? You don't, you don't, you know, don't forget, you don't have this toolbox, man. Um, and I'd step away from it and then I'd come back and then I'd step away from it. And, you know, eventually I started typing it out, then it kind of became, well, uh, and and i'm I'm gonna paraphrase. I'm pretty sure this is from um I, I'm thinking of Gabino Iglesias, but I've heard you know a number of different people say it. Finish the damn book um yeah. you know, how many people say they're gonna write a book? How many people you know even get as far as sitting down and typing you know a, a paragraph or a chapter, and then it just wastes away on their hard drive somewhere. Um, and what it kind of came down to is, you know, I, I know what happens next, or at least I can figure it out as I'm going, uh, and I'm going to finish the book. And I couldn't tell you exactly when it was. I'm thinking probably around, probably around May or June last year. And then I did the thing that, you know, authors say to do. I finished it. I typed the end and I didn't look at it for like a month and a half. Um, so that I could come at it with fresh eyes, did a pass, sent it out to some people who gave me some really, really terrific notes on it. Um, and then, you know, we already told the, how it got into Ken McKinley's hands. Um, but, you know, to have this out, you know, to, to go through all the parts of the process, to see the edits, which, you know, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I actually really enjoyed the editing phase, um, for, for the you know 537 notes that you know were on were on that thing, uh, I feel like every one of them. You know, th- there were none where I sat there and looked and said, what is he talking about? This sentence is already perfect. Every one of them was a learning opportunity, a way to say, oh, Jesus, I did use, you know, passive voice there and I didn't even pick up on it. Or, you know, that that is a weird choice for a verb there. Or, you know, I could describe that in more detail. Um, and, and, you know, having gone through those edits, I really feel like it made my my writing. Strong. uh and then you know, just to see the the cover come in to see the interior artwork to get the, uh the uh I can't think of a better word than mock ups from Kenneth Kane coming in through my email and seeing everything you know in place uh to to holding that you know finished version in my hands you know i remember the day the day that came in, I sat there on the couch for like a half hour just thumbing through it, just you know feeling absolutely surreal and then i put the damn thing down and i did some writing because i'm like this feeling's too good i i i need i'm gonna need it again (laughs) at some point
2: (laughs) absolutely
4: um and it's the it's the best approach to keeping um to keeping imposter syndrome at bay too is just keep fucking doing it it reminds you that you really are the real deal you know um and I totally lost my train of thought because I got so yep. interested in myself.
5: That's one of the cool things I get to see every time with every every book that goes through Silver Shamrock, because I get to see the authors get excited, and uh, that, that's an awesome uplifting thing for me, being a writer, seeing them get excited. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they're new or they're old, they've been in this for a long time, it's always the same. Everybody's always so psyched to see, like I do a preliminary Yeah. and I do a uh, you know, the last looks, and then they get to see the final thing. So it's like different stages, and, and to see their excitement each time is really awesome. And Brennan was like so excited; <laughs> Every <laughs> evening, like just like
4: jumping for joy. <laughs> um, and I can I can see why too. You know, that's like he said. If someone who has it approaches it with that attitude that everything that an editor is telling him is a a learning opportunity, it's like that's, that is what in the long run will make you a great
1: writer, in my opinion, you know yeah, I agree, that was the, that was definitely a pleasant again, when you're doing work or business with someone you're probably more friendly with than, you know, just someone that's submitting in there randomly that was one of my reasons How's this gonna go? Is this gonna affect us? You know that type of thing. He was the the consummate professional. He mm. he took his lumps well, and you know when I put the thumb screws to him, he squealed at the right moments, but nothing too too terrible. Um, <laughs> he was good to work with. It it was nice to see, and you could see the excitement in there. And it it's never my goal to you know beat the living shit out of someone, and you know to, you screwed this up or you didn't do this right. You know it's just You know, go for the positives, um, kind of explain to them, show them what you see, and, you know, come at it together and see how you can make it so it's going to be a better product in the end. But it it was was a very easy process with him for, you know, being a first-time author, he he really did well.
4: And
1: and it is, it's so important, though,
4: because, I mean, no matter what type of a personality type you are, like... um, I'm, as everybody knows, I'm hardcore editor. You know, I'm hardcore pro editor with anything you're going to publish. You should have a professional editor put their eyes on it. Um, but uh, God, I lost again, Dana it. It'll come back to me. It's important. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Though? That's how you build
5: your, uh, I was just explaining that to someone earlier because they had gotten a rejection from a from an agent and you know, she was asking a question in public and I just contacted her at a PM and I said, you know, this is part of the process. You know, you get that rejection, you take what feedback you got and you build upon it. You strengthen your writing and uh, always focusing on writing a better story. And uh, the people who listen to that feedback, I mean, not, not every red- editor is right. And hundred uh, percent right. of the time, I don't expect to, when I do edits, I don't expect people to follow hundred percent of what I mark up i uh make suggestions and then they inform themselves upon my suggestions yeah. it's their story not mine and um that's how you become a better writer it's constantly striving for that better story taking your feedback from all your different sources and yeah. you know if once you let your ego in you know you let that ego in and start, like bouncing and stuff mm-hmm. for no reason at all being yeah. assaulted by it then that's the worst you can do you
4: know yeah you, the, yeah, you. Picked up on exactly where I was trying to go and lost, got lost at there too. Um, was just that I'm a very alpha personality, and every time someone hands me edits back, I have to um, look at them and then walk away for an hour and then come back and mm-hmm. get unpissed pissed off and and pay attention to what they're telling me. But I do that, and that's hugely important that you fucking do that. You know, don't go well. Fuck you. I like it like it is. You know, like <laughs> walk yeah. away and walk away and get over it. Yourself.
5: I even use a 24 hour rule because, uh, you know, and it does sting sometimes. Like, yeah, because because you get very attached to your words. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you wrote them and and, and you should be attached to them. And all an editor is doing, I mean, let's keep in mind that, you know, me, Ken, we, we've already been paid in one regard. You know?
2: mm-hmm. So the
5: only thing we have to gain from the editing experience is making the work better. And it's not. We're not going to take it over and make it ours. We want it to be yours, but we want to say, hey, this is what we could do to make this beat a little bit better, uh, strengthen this scene, you know, give a little bit more visual to this. And and then, you know, you pick up on those things over time.
4: Yeah. Like
5: I have, like Ken has, like everyone has. You pick up on little, you know, criticisms. And if you handle them well and you're able to build upon a portfolio, then your stories are constantly getting better. Yep. And so, you know, Brennan starts out really strong. I mean, I've read some of his short work, so he's a strong writer. He starts out very strong. So, you know, the more he's receptive like that, the better he'll be.
4: Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually, eventually, you get to a stage where you're so fucking popular that you can take your novella and turn it into a 10,000 word behemoth, and people will still call you Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> but. <you>
2: know,
4: <laughs> Sorry. And and you know what, Kenneth, uh,
3: to your point, you know, I do doing the Deadhead Space podcast has been like, uh, you know, we've been recording for about 15 months now. And it's just been a 15 month long masterclass as as Rich and Shane, I'm sure, you know, I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. You learn so much doing it. And, you know, I, I, I Take a lot of what people who have been in this business to, to a long time uh, say to heart. I mean, I still remember when um, Kenneth uh, came on with Todd Keesling to uh, talk about the One of Us anthology. Um, he he laid down a, a little nugget. Basically, said the P, you you can tell the professionals because. They just because of the way they work with editors, they, they trust uh, the editors. And, you know, that's kind of <laughs> when, when I'm expecting my edits, when I was waiting for them to come in, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get, you know, just I, I'm going to have days and days and days and of, of work ahead of me to fix every little thing um, that could be, you know, uh, nitpicked. But at the same time, it's like, but the, the, you know the people working on this, we all have a vested interest in this book being the po- the best you know thing it could possibly be yeah. um so the, those edits coming in, they're not coming from a place of malice, even though it's yeah. hard to kick that idea. they're coming from you know how can we help good story become a great story
4: yeah, and that this is something you can confirm too right there is that. Okay, you looked at that and you're going, okay, there's hours and hours of work for me to address all this stuff. Um, but you also kind of look at it after you've addressed those things. Um, and, and it is true, if there's something you just desperately t- disagree with, do push back a little bit. Find out why you're being told to do something. Um, but for the most part, at the end of that, hours and hours and hours and hours, you read what you have in your hands and you go, wow. I wish I could write this good, but but you did, you know. You just you just did it better because you listened to people who know what the fuck they're talking
3: about. Well, absolutely, and mm-hmm. you know not only that, but if you, you know, if, if I were an editor, I'll put myself in that headspace. If I were an editor and I, you know, went over a manuscript and made my suggestions, and it came back to me with every single one of them, um, uh, fought against. I I don't. I, I'm gonna make a judgment based on that. But if the, you know, if the, if they're reasonable suggestions and the author is amenable to like 90% of them, then I'm really gonna put a lot of stock in the 10% that they disagreed with.
4: I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's also something to be said for contracts and the knowledge that you can change shit later after you've been paid for it and make it what you wanted it to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, not saying that the editor is wrong most of the time. I'm just saying there are times when you're going to disagree. But if it's a small thing, just let it slide and fix it later.
5: Well, I think this is why you see things like, uh, you know, the author's preferred edit.
4: Right. And,
5: and uh, stuff like that, like editions. And um, there's nothing wrong with those. I mean, there's no, I mean, let's be honest, this is a craft. There's no yeah. way to do it. There's just, uh, you know, there's Silver Shamrock. And, you know, I work for several other publishers, way, and every, every publisher has their way. And, uh, you know, I do a, a lot more for Silver Shamrock. So uh, I'm very
1: used to... I have a contract on his soul. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so I'm very used to the way and, and the vision, you know, we talk about. We talked about it for, you know, over several drinks on a uh, Skype over the vision of silver shamrock. So I know it, you know, I know what he wants. And uh, he trusts me to, to push that vision through, but not to scare, you know, the writer away, you know, to, to say, Hey, you know, we can bend on this and we can bend on that. And, you know, let's uh, let's keep it your story, but let me at least, you know, entertain that at least entertain the idea that this possibly might work better. And, uh, you know, don't get insulted by it. Don't let your ego get into it. Just look at it and say, well, this is why I believe this. And, uh, you know, that's the way to discuss things.
2: You know, just
5: keep it professional and, and realize that no one's against you. They they want to uh, make the book as, you know, as good as possible. I mean, they're investing
4: money in it. So, <laughs>
5: you know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to make a return, so they want to make it as, as good as possible.
4: And that's... And Nothing but respect is going to come your way if you're not sure why an editor is asking you to do something, and you just say why. You know, um, that's that's showing that you respect their knowledge, and you just want some clarification as to why. You know, they understand that you think your words are fucking perfect. You know?
5: Oh yeah, I mean, and there's going to be things like that where you have a, I mean, just actually recently we've had a couple of books where we've discussed things back and forth, that's, you know, between me and Ken and the author. And there's nothing wrong with that at all happening. That's part of the process. Yeah. And you decide as a group, like, what is the best way uh, to handle, you know, a sensitive moment or a sensitive wording or, you know what I mean? It's it's not always easy. And sometimes you make the wrong choice. You're going to make mistakes and, uh, you know, live and learn.
4: Yep. Um, and that's every single one of us in this business. You know, if there's anyone who it's as true of as it is of doctors that they're practicing, it's us.
5: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine this brain surgery, man. We'd be killing people left and right, right, <laughs> and, and
4: laughing about it. <laughs> Damn, you lost another one, Kane. <laughs> <laughs>
5: with writing, with at least it's easy, you know. You get, hey, we've found a few mistakes, so let me upload new versions right away. I right. <laughs> can't exactly upload a new brain right,
2: during
1: brain surgery. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm also not in the habit of signing a a story that I we're gonna need to sit here and you know do reconstructive surgery on the thing. I mean, if it doesn't have the bones and ninety five percent of the the heavy lifting done, what's the point of getting it? Mm. you you turn I mean, if it has potential, but it needs quite a bit of work you turn it back and you send it back to them and you kind of give them a little you know a little bit of information on what it is that you see and maybe what they could do better but and if it's if it's on borderline there where if they did certain things then you'd take another look at it you know you can throw that offer out there but you know we're not in the, the habit of taking a story on that's going to need just absolute reconstructive surgery and then you know expect to do that it's and that's what I, you know, we, we try to communicate with these authors. Look, we love your story. That's why we accept it, you know, but let's make it as best as it can be.
4: Mm. And, mm. You, yeah, if you were doing reconstructive surgery on every book that you were doing, I mean, that would be pretty fucking impressive because you put out really good books. Um, you, I understand you read all 12,000 manuscripts from every <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, having to do that kind of um, editing work on every single thing
1: would just not not pan out for a successful publisher. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If I wanna, if I wanted to write the story, I would, or if I had to do that much writing in the story, I would just write it myself. Why yeah. would I?
5: Exactly. And, and you know, all Silver Shamrock uh, authors have been really, really good with that. It's so um i mean to their to all to their credit and
4: and that's part of what i think that's part of what ken's looking for as well you know i think yeah and that's true is it i mean you can see that in you know what ken said about um not not wanting to have to do surgery on 90 percent of a work to make it acceptable is that the people that you're bringing on are um all very very professional individuals um even I've been going into it I most of the people that you've published with a few exceptions I knew prior to you publishing them and that is a trademark of every single one of them is that um they're professionals and they bring that I can see how um they would be perfectly perfectly um amenable to the idea that an editor is going to make the work
1: work for them you know yeah I mean we've been really spoiled to be honest with you it's you know the authors and stuff that we we've, we've been able to sign have been just wonderful to work with um you know I just reiterate everything Ken Kane said where it's you know they, they're professional. That's, that's what it boils down to they are they know their craft they they've been around the block um, even the even the young ones like young Brennan here just has that professionalism to him and you know it's just been nothing but a joy It's been my Brennan.
4: Young Brennan, he's a green lad, but <laughs> <laughs> um, he Brennan Brennan once corrected me for mentioning weed on his show, so you know, I, heard <laughs> I remember that. You don't? No. Oh, oh, it wasn't you actually. That was a different one. Never mind. I was gonna oh. say I don't remember for
3: breakfast, so I mean it could have happened, but <laughs> <laughs> too much to do that to you.
4: Um yeah, I don't remember my own name when I wake up in the morning most mornings.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, I will say kind
3: of backing off that last point. Um <laughs> I, I've been a, a fan of, of Silver Shamrock since day one, you know, yeah. since uh, In the Scrape uh, uh, by uh, James Newman and Mark Steensland showed up in my inbox and I right. uh, went through it in an it, yeah. it, You know, the, the second I put pen to page, they were always a, a, a dream publisher. Um, and to, you know, hear that my story was acceptable enough to, to go there. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just one more aspect of that. Surreal uh, uh, nature of of working with a book, you know, with a mind to publishing it. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Hey, you know, to all those dreamers, you know, out there, keep pushing yourself, keep, keep submitting, keep trying to write that better, better story. Keep submitting and uh, make Ken read a whole lot more.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he loves it, and send him lots of IBA.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I I wanted to chime in on that earlier. I I could see him drinking it, and I was going to ask him exactly what kind of IPA he had. All <laughs> oh, IPAs, you should know better.
1: taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because
0: uh, I remember, I think it was you know on the, the first time uh, we had Ken on. Um, he would say how much he hated them, but it always seems like, uh, especially Tim Meyer, I think, always gets him to try a new one. Yeah, the son of a bitch. <laughs> and I'm like, for someone who hates them so much, he's sure willing to try a bunch. Right. No, for the record, in this PA <laughs>
1: war, the only reason, the only reason is because he keeps talking about how damn good they are. So I'm like, maybe I'm just not getting the right one. So I can't tell you <laughs> how many six-packs I've bought, and now I have a million five-packs that I'm looking to chuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, God, what the hell is he finding these things? They're horrible. So I'm to the point now where I don't believe anything he says. I'm like, nope, not buying it. I've already spent you know, my, my kid's college, first year of college on that shit, so...
2: <laughs> I mean if
4: you
1: want to if you want to suck on a skunk's
4: asshole just go find a skunk <laughs>
2: that's how I think
4: about IPAs but um, it's a it's a not a favorite of mine and, it, and now you start getting these people like I bought a beer a couple weeks ago I forget what it's called now that was billed as a pilsner and then I got it home I saw that it's a high hop pilsner um <laughs> cracked that sucker and took a swig off it and um yeah what it was was fucking IPA that they called high hop pilsner
1: you know <laughs> bastards you gotta be careful
3: trick you through <laughs> the branding
1: yeah
4: exactly um although there's only like 12 of us in the United States who aren't IPA fanatics it seems like so um, because <laughs> me personally that's why I, I stick to a glass of whiskey I know exactly what's in it whiskey
2: <laughs>
4: <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> you know what you get yeah. into when you get behind that wheel exactly
4: <laughs> um, the only wheel you're getting behind hopefully if you're me <laughs> I'm a lightweight these days since the, you know since uh, the plague my superpower during the plague became drinking um, but uh in the last four or five months i got way back and now when i try to go too heavy i just get stupider
0: anyway <laughs> um yeah the, uh, kind of on this whole weird ipa thing and what we had also mentioned before like i i still can't believe that you read all of those submissions ken Every single one that that's like superhuman. It's
1: not superhuman. It's just super stupid is what it is. No, (laughs) It's fucking insane. At
2: the very least.
1: (laughs) I I don't know. It just, it, I feel like I'm cheating someone if I'm not reading their, their submission. It's, I don't want it to be where, you know, you read the first two sentences and go, Nope, never heard of you're out. You know, I don't want to do that. That's just in, to be honest with you. Because I don't do that, that's how I've discovered new-to-me authors and new voices to put in these anthologies. And it's, to me, that's, that's the, one of the most rewarding things, and to sit there and write a keen story. I don't know if I should put it in or not. I mean, nobody does. But if you get someone from someone you've never heard of, and you take the time and you read it, and it pulls you in, and it gives you that, that awesome feeling, deep down in your gut that's to me that's what it's all about I know I'm going to get that feeling with Brian Keene it's not a surprise when I I read his and I get that but when I get that from someone that I've never heard of before that's that's a roller coaster baby
4: Um, that's exactly how I feel too Mm -hmm. it's kind of like Jessica Leonard was a revelation to me Um, yeah and uh, yeah I'll read it up she's enhanced to buy everything that I see with her name on it is mine you know (laughs) That's that's why anthologies
5: are such a good, a good thing. It's just sampling of so many different voices. And you know, obviously, not every author is going to be on 100% of the time. You might, you know, might catch somebody at a downtime. But uh, generally speaking, if you're attracted to a story for one reason or another, and uh, you know, you might seek out their work elsewhere. That's the great thing about anthologies. And you know, you seek out that anthology that has this person that you like their story. And then you find a whole new group of uh, authors that you like. And it's just like a or- very organic exploration, you know? That's how I actually, you know, when I first started reading horror, that's what I used to do, hang out in this basement of this used bookstore, reading anthologies, finding one author to the next author to the next, and just having, having fun.
4: Um, yeah, me too, pretty much. I grew up on Douglas Winter anthologies and, you know... Um, I spent hours and hours and hours pouring through this and doing that very thing and finding out who was writing novels. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in this day and age, you know, um, you have the, all of the Silver Shamrock anthologies are top notch, uh, hugely top, top shelf um, is what I'm mentioning here. Um, Silver Shamrock, uh, Datlow's Best of the Year. Um, you can find she she puts a lot of repeat talent in there, but you can find some super, super, super gems in there too, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about uh dedicated anthologists, you know, like yourselves and like her and um, Murano and you know, other people in the business is that uh, every single one of them is devoted to spotlighting at least
1: some new talent. In what they do. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. you know, it's our responsibility as a publisher to to keep the pipeline open. I mean if you're just using genre veterans, um, or the you know, just your your social group, your of friends, I mean you're not you're not doing anything new. I mean, yeah, you gotta have name brands to to get the the casual reader to pick the book up. But my goal is is not only to provide that, but also as you pick it up and you start making your way through but you discover another voice or two at least uh, that you want to continue seeking out their work
4: that's important mm-hmm. to to young authors to keep that in mind too don't be intimidated by you know, like I passed on a call recently because I saw some of the people that the editor was saying just sign so and so just sign so and so and I'm going oh, fuck these people are way out of my league and mm-hmm. then he hits me like three nights later and says, dude I thought you were going to send something to me and I told him that. He says, well, yeah, that was the point, dumbass. <laughs> you know, I've put all these people in here. People want to read it, and they see your name, too, you know.
5: <laughs> hey, but, you know, you, you hit on a problem that we all have. We all have this underconfidence in our work. And, uh, you know, my wife, is, you know, Heather, is uh, very wise. And when I was going through all this myself, she just said, why can't you just uh, write and do what you love? Yeah. And then you submit it, and if you don't get accepted ever, then who the hell cares? I mean, you're getting you're doing something you love to do. I mean, this is a crap art form, and the more you love it, the more you want to do it well. Yeah. And uh the more you do it well, the more you get seen, you know, and that's that's all part of the uh process, I think. And you don't want to you don't wanna miss out on that process because I think it's fun. It's hard. I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, I've got I've had over a, a thousand rejections myself. It's it's a hard hard approach, uh, but it's well worth it because then you start getting to the short listings and then when you get the short listings, it's even harder, you know, um, but it's part of a process making it to where you write this paragraph and then you sit back after writing it and you go, oh man, I can't believe I just wrote that. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe I just wrote something that's impressing myself. And then you start to change that perception of yourself, you know, so that's that's, yeah. that's the process. And it's not so a quick fit. one. Jane, I mean, no, You need to start seeing that. You know that process. for your Yeah. Poetry.
4: yeah. Um, and it's uh, like um, it's it's not a fa- it's not a fast process as far as you hitting a stage where you look at. You no,
5: no. Both. It's all on your it's all on your own pace. Everybody has it differently, but you know be confident because you write. I mean, I see your poetry on Twitter all the time. And it's excellent. So, you know, embrace that
1: shit, man. I'm. I feel a lot better about it now than I did. Um, yeah, that's good. A very, a very wise person once told me the worst that someone can tell you is no. Big deal. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yep. That's right.
2: Um, so you
5: don't just, need anyone else telling you no, including yourself. That's that's the key. If you're if yourself is telling you no, then you're not even getting out of the train station. You know what I mean? You got to get that train moving.
4: And that's, my, that's mine, and I think a lot of newer authors' worst crimes against themselves is self-rejection. Exactly, exactly.
1: You, listen, you can't sell it if you don't offer it. Yeah.
4: Yep. yep. Um, and that was kind of, I forget who it was, one of our guests, Brennan was talking about the ongoing Academy of uh, Writing Education for us podcasters. Um, one of our guests, Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> I, got, I got distracted by myself again.
2: <laughs> yeah, I knew that
5: Nothing wrong with that. I, it I, gets I'm, worse as you get older.
4: Yeah, no kidding.
5: <laughs> and <laughs> as, <laughs> as you drink more.
4: And as you drink more, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to believe I'm more lucid as I drink more, but that's only when I'm drinking more. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But,
3: I think it's really yeah. easy to, you know, when you get a rejection, to slip into that mindset of they rejected it because it's bad. But, I mean, could be, you know, I've, I've seen uh, editors say that, you know, they, the call had a specific nature to it. And as they read submissions and as they accepted submissions, they, you know, kind of honed the tone of what the anthology was going to be. And, I mean, you unless they give you an extremely detailed uh, rejection letter, you're never going to know whether it was your story is not publishable or your story just came a little shy of, um, of hitting the exact tone we're going for. So, you know, a- as writers, we're always going to slip into that. Well, obviously it was because it was garbage. Um, but, you know, if you kind of – if you – get that rejection, you go over the story with a fine-tooth comb, you use your trusted you know first readers, beta readers, whatever you call them. Um, and you know if it's a piece that you're happy with, then it's either an invitation to send it elsewhere or it is you know you get it you collect enough of those and you got a 200 page collection uh, ready to do something with at some point
5: that's exactly right I mean uh, right on I saw Lucy Snyder say something about that once like you know you write a story and it gets rejected you write it and you send it out and it gets rejected gets rejected um, you know you have a base of stories that you can fall back on if somebody requests a story or uh, if, an, if an opening if a submission opens up and you have a story that fits it or you can do a collection like Brennan said I mean uh, there's so many different opportunities nowadays for short stories especially or, or to write them out into longer stories and and test the novella market and and the novel market
4: yeah and that's something else too is keep everything i mean yeah
5: exactly i have a um, folder i call the uh the pit of despair or the (laughs) (laughs) lost dreams and and or something like that and there's like there's like a thousand things in there and i have no idea what they are but sometimes i go in there looking for inspiration and, and you know that might lead to a new story so
4: Or it just happens, you know, like like I had a call recently for um, poetry. Well, it was actually an invitation, but I had a poem that was like maybe eight lines long that um, I wrote early, early, early on, and I just really kind of despised it. Um, But I remembered it, and when I saw it, when um, I got invited to this, I thought, well, that could work if it was any good, and I ended up with a, I think it was something like a seven-page long 600-word uh, poem that grew out of that one and there's a way, way, way better poem and got purchased, you know. So, yeah, hang on to every fucking thing. Don't listen to yourself when you think, nah, just throw that away. Keep pushing yourself, man. I mean,
5: I expect big things out of you. I mean, keep, keep, keep pushing.
4: Oh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not capable of stopping.
5: I mean, that's the... That's the thing. Just take Heather's advice, man. Do, you're doing what you love, and just keep doing what you love, and, and don't let that noise get into your, into your ego. Just, just take the, you know, the criticism can be hard. I'm not gonna lie, you know. And uh, even for Brennan being a newer, newer writer, it can be really hard. Well, my first rejection was, "You suck. You never do it again." And uh, if I would have taken that advice, I'd never. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So, um, you know, there's gonna be people that don't like. Your stuff, and there's going to be people that are, there'll be people that are mean and, and yeah. uh, say things that aren't cool. Um, you know, you got to it's not about them and their ego. It's about you and your ego, you know? Yeah.
4: Yeah. And if you're me, I mean, they'll do the meanest thing ever so, a lot of the time and just not say anything at all to you.
5: Hey, you know, for all so you cool. know, they just didn't get laid that night and they're just being a yep.
2: <laughs> Exactly.
5: <laughs> you know what I mean? so they just might be in a shitty mood and and uh and you know that happens to everyone i mean i know ken can tell you i've been trying to go off this medicine for the last three weeks and i've been like probably a total dick but uh that's just the way life is you know sometimes people have their moods and they and they go through things and but you got to try to always try to be professional always try to pull yourself back and try to keep pushing yourself forward and and trying you know like Richard Thomas always says, uh and he, you know he stole from up, so sorry Richard. But <laughs> onward and upward. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? That's that's what it's about. And we gotta pick each other up. Yep. Can't right. we yeah. can't just constantly crap on each other in this genre. We gotta, you know, realize people make mistakes and pick each other up and try to try to make us stronger and build each other up as a as a group rather than just constantly shitting on each other. It doesn't work.
2: Really? You know?
4: I I agree. I, I told a friend a couple months ago, you know you're really stressing out over all this stupidity on Twitter. You should just step off for a moment. And it was the best guys I had, It was such great advice I took it myself, and life has been so, so immensely better. Amen.
5: <laughs> you know? hey, I mean, here's the thing, you know, like something happens in a, in a crowd when you're at like a con or at a bar in person, and, and it's it, 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 it uh, resolves itself differently. Yeah. You know? and uh, mm-hmm. we need to start going back to the old way of how we resolve things with debating and talking things out and being rational. You know, being an adult. Yeah. That's that's the way you uh, that's the way you make us stronger as a people, not as a person, but as a people. And uh, you know, it's not always easy. I'm not going to lie. And things happen you know, uh, just got to keep trying to be a better writer. Keep trying to be a better person, trying to be a better human being and and trying to, you know, embrace this genre that we have and build it and help others. That's my little sorry, crying moment.
3: <laughs> the sage wisdom of Kenneth Kane.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, this is kind of going back a little bit uh, earlier to the- Things that you had said, Shane and uh, Kenneth, that I thought was really cool was the not throwing away thing. Um, I just wanted to touch on that because um, when you guys had said that, like it just made me think of like so many stories I've heard of, you know, writers who, you know, like maybe something wasn't working for them. And then just as they've had different life experiences and things like that. Like, something just clicks, and then that story ends up
2: working. You know, here's the and,
5: uh, honesty and uh, it. So it's great. So in 2007, uh, my job, I had to take 20 years of reading. I was, you know, doing the whole job thing. And um, I had written, my boss said, our company's going under and My boss says, try to look busy. So I write this little, this little piece for the first time writing in, like, 20 years. And my friend, uh, I have him edit it, and he goes, you're a messed up motherfucker. Sorry. And, nope, sure. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, he's, he says, you know, you're messed up. And uh, I put it aside. I try to work it. I try to work it. And years go by. This is in 2007. And then just uh, a year and a half ago, Brennan reads the final product. After years and years of putting it away, after you know, shoving it in a folder, picking it back up, working on it, throwing it away, picking it back up, working on it, and Brennan reads the final product when I had already submitted it to Ken and had it accepted, and um, and then everything that Brennan and Patrick, who also read it, comes back to me. And I go, I got to change everything. I got to take the whole thing apart and revamp the whole thing. And this is after it's been accepted. So. You know, no, definitely don't throw anything away. You can constantly keep picking at it. You never know what's going to work, and then you know you might change your mind at the last minute. I mean, this is this is just an art form, and, and you should embrace it in, in all of its aspects, you know? Yeah,
2: thank and it's...
5: By the, by the way...
4: <laughs> sorry, I, I, I uh, over-spoke over you on that last part. Oh, so sorry,
5: I, I just said thank you, Brennan, to,
4: because... Ah
5: first time i've actually talked to him
3: physically since then <laughs> yeah no absolutely man it was uh it was a pleasure to read and you know like we we keep talking about the bones and you know the bones the bones were there it was a it was a great story it was just that the skull was peeking out of the pelvis at the time so we put everything
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> i like stories where the skull peeks out of the pelvis
2: personally.
4: <laughs> um, and yeah, that alliteration has to go in a poem somewhere now, too. <laughs> the skull peeks out of the pelvis, person.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Maybe I'll leave that alone.
2: <laughs>
4: um, so uh, running close to roundup time here, I'm gonna have to beat somebody before she kills me. <laughs> um, I was going to ask something of all of you, and I couldn't, I can't remember for the life of me Oh yeah, what's everybody reading right now? Go, Ken.
5: Hey, um, so I'm reading. Uh, I just started the audiobook of Brian King's The Rising. Ah. Yeah. I'm reading. Uh, also reading Stephen King's um, Pet Cemetery. Um, a lot of you know my my son's name is Gage. That's where I got it from. So uh, I had listened to the audiobook and seen the movie. So this is my first time actually reading the book, and it's kind of interesting, you know, um, reading his intro to the newest version of it. It's kind of, you know, and 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 then associated it with my own life. You know, it's really cool.
4: Um, that's my favorite King novel of all times. It's a uh, it's a tough. <laughs> uh Brennan you
3: know, you know it's funny i actually uh you you're reading uh the the rising on uh audiobook i actually just finished that for the first time earlier today um it was um i think i saw that his labyrinth book was coming out through thunderstorm and i w- I didn't have an extra 95 bucks to throw at it but it you know i i at least read up on it and you know he said it's a culmination of of all, all my work, my dark tower, all, you know, this here, here's the books you need to read to kind of understand what's going on. And I said, I've, I've read. So I kind of wanted to catch up on my keen a little better And I started with The Rising. And it was it, it, it was awesome. It was very, uh, you know, I, I, I totally get why he has that uh, controversy, let's say, with the ending. But, you know, it, it worked for me. Um, I'm also reading Hell Hollow by Ronald Kelly. Uh, we read Fear earlier this year and, you know, the way Ronald Kelly writes, you know, young, young kids, I, I dig it. That's, that's right up my alley. Um, and a bunch of other stuff that's just not coming to mind right now. Cause I can't read less than 10 books at a time. Um, yeah, I know how that goes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome.
5: let me go back for one. I, I just finished, uh, Gemma Files experimental film and I see like a lot of people like trashing it for the first uh, of that book and do not do that read that fucking book
4: fuck yeah
5: <laughs> finish I,
4: it you know what I mean <laughs> I, I didn't I hadn't really seen anyone trashing it but yeah fuck that man that book is fucking phenomenal if you don't if you <laughs> don't like
5: uh, associate with the uh, film aspect the first third of that book you have to rely a lot on the characterization and the uh, relationship between <laughs> mother and son which isn't bad. I mean, it's. I mean, Gemma is an excellent writer, so don't get me wrong. It's just a little slow, but once it gets past that, if you don't enjoy that, it picks up really fast, and, and it's a very strong book after that. So all those people, you know, who may have dropped it early, go back, pick it up, and, and finish it. Um.
4: Oh. McKinley. <laughs> I'm going, Who the fuck did I miss? I'm not talking to Rich. No. I'm <laughs> uh, I was th- I was thinking McKinley sitting there going, dude,
1: I read five hundred stories a day. Yes. <laughs> uh, not being able to read less than ten stories at a time. Yeah. Um outside of a gazillion manuscripts, believe it or not, I actually do read for enjoyment and podcasts. Oh yeah. Stuff like that. The one I'm reading right now is Rosemary's Baby for Unburying the Dead's episode coming up here. Right on, yeah. So, so. For my first time reading this anything by Ira Levin, and um, you know I've seen the movie, um, but I'm actually enjoying the writing much more than the movie. So, uh,
4: yeah, he's a, one hmm. of those writers from that era that really, really holds up well. Um, I have not actually seen the movie yet. I keep meaning to. And-
1: Oh, the movie's the movie's good, but it's very sixties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The story's, I don't know. I'm really enjoying his writing style. And Brennan, he's if he's not reading it, he's probably already read it.
3: I I am two chapters in, um, and I, you know, I I know we're not recording that episode for like ten days, and if I read it soon, I completely forget absolutely everything about it and look like a jack.
4: Um, no, you just look like you probably have ADHD, but, you know,
1: because <laughs> that's me. I have to read a book like three days before I talk about it. Max number, I'm fucked. Well, we, we were kind of, uh, just hitting it from the hip type of thing with the first couple. And then, uh, uh Kevin Witten, Mr. Well-Read Beard made us all look really silly. Like we didn't do our homework. So I said, "Fuck that!" Last one, <laughs> I made sure I did wrote like a shit ton of notes and did research on the background of Jaws and everything else. I wanted to look like I knew what I was talking about, at least.
2: See those shows too.
5: Yeah. While he's talking.
4: That guy. Uh. Yeah. Kevin's Kevin uh, is a is a. Pretty brilliant, dude.
5: Yeah, I like that guy. He's a good guy. Yeah,
4: yeah, he is.
3: He literally showed up with his book with, it couldn't have been less than fifty Post-it notes sticking out the side. I know.
1: The son of a bitch better have a stock and three.
3: Yeah, guy. three. That
5: guy's the, He's the guy keeping Post-it in business.
4: And shit. <laughs> 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 uh, really, no okay, But I do have, I have a couple of. Uh, Tiffany McDaniel books that look very much like he read them. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, um,
4: that's a hell of a hell of an author not to sit there. Um, if I hadn't been reviewing it, I probably would not have wasted all that time because that's a lot of note taking. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I'm the same way like. Can um, just that I, I have to take meticulous, meticulous notes on anything that I really want to sound like I know
1: something about. Um, I, because
5: I I mean, it, it means you're invested in the book. That's
1: yeah. Cool thing. It's sad if, you know, you sit there and you think, oh, I just read this book and I, I have all this, and then, you know, when uh, the light hits on the thing and you're like, okay, time to talk, and you're like, book and you forget everything you just read.
2: Yep. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Uh, if I don't have it, some kind of little reminder, that's why,
4: I like, um, one of my favorite approaches is, like, the other podcast, we just tend to throw out one or two we're, uh, kickers to a conversation and just see where it goes. Um, and, you know, important ones, important topics to the industry or whatever or to whoever we're talking about. But it's so much easier for my brain, you know, to just jot down these notes for these things that we're going to talk about, you know, one or two word notes are, are my bag entirely for a podcast, you know, um, this one though too, we tend to bring on a lot more people that, uh, uh, that I'm familiar with, that I know personally that I have, you know, uh, that I'm immensely familiar with their work or the work they publish or whatever, and that makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, because, in spite of the shit that goes on on Twitter sometimes, the horror community is peopled by amazing fucking human beings. Yeah, so. right. uh, I mean,
5: uh, uh, you know, like whenever you have a problem, you know, like you, you disappear for a few days and somebody's checking it on you. that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah,
4: it is. yeah. yeah
5: you know, I, our, our crappy days so there's no there's no getting around that
4: yeah um, and, but they but they get less they get lesser you know the more you just avoid people <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah I'm with you that's why I was looking when Heather wanted to buy a house I was like where can we move that there's no neighbors Right. <laughs> <laughs> she's like nowhere and we found a place there's There's neighbors, but it's it's like a no-neighbor situation, so I love it. (laughs) Now we have the best neighbors in the world because I never
4: see them. (laughs) Uh, I live in the middle of the city, and I never see my neighbors because I designed it that way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My neighbors come up missing. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Michigan.
3: Yeah,
5: that's just Michigan, dude. We're used to that. We hear that all the time. <laughs> that state <stick> doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, look at your baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> <He's funny.
1: laughs> and the Tigers been since day one, and, it, and there hasn't been much to cheer for in a very long time.
3: Hey, uh, uh. you up uh, the third pick in the draft, so I'm in. Good for you.
2: Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh
5: huh. Yeah. the like consolation prize.
4: <laughs> I am I'm teamless right now. I I'm an, I I am a fan of the game, but not a fan of any particular team because the owner of the team I was a fan of was kind of
5: just every other <laughs> country Sure. So that's a okay.
4: <laughs> yeah. Sorry for that c word. I'd like to tell our listeners that I was going to cut that out of here, but fuck that. I'm too lazy to go looking for it. Um, So uh, I'll just apologize instead. Almost everybody who listens to this show is not going to have a problem with that (laughs) word.
3: I I am a little surprised. You guys, you know, maybe next time they uh, MLB does an expansion, Portland will get a team.
4: um, yeah, that sucks bad, man. We've tried so many times. Um, and the guy who was pushing, who was really, really um, pushing for it got himself a fucking soccer team and gave up on it. So, I would you know, that. <laughs> the money, you know. Um,
3: well, I, hey, I know. The, the, the Giants have got to be almost as close to you as Mariners.
4: And
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: they are. Um, I hate the Giants, but you know, they are close. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: That's
4: <nice>. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I think uh, I'm all done. I'm babbling now and keeping you guys for half the night. Because um, uh, what's what's coming forth, brand new from Silver Shamrock that you can talk about, Mr. McAnally. Well,
1: Shane, I'm Let me pull it up here real quick. We have coming up, obviously this Tuesday, Brendan Lafaro's debut *Slattery Falls*. Highly recommend it. Pre-order it now. After that, on August seventeenth, we have the subterranean horror *Below* by Kev Harrison. And on eight thirty-one, we have the Jedi Summer from John Bowden. That one's highly anticipated. Coming back and actually getting in the mass market paperback. Oh uh-huh. hell yes. On September 14th, we have Hunter Shea's The Waiting. And on September 28th, we have Midnight from Beyond the Stars. Right on.
4: Uh, Shay, I'm going to need to get your uh, ass on the show so we can trash talk you some more. <laughs> um, and also, you know, just speaking personal preferences and things, I love that cover on Kev's book. It's just fucking to die for. It's the most amazing cover I've seen in a long time. And I think the, that in and of itself
1: will sell some of those books, man. That thing is... Yeah, killing. just when I think Keelan couldn't come up with a, a, a better one, he, he turns right around and smacks me in the face with a one that's even better. So. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> um, I like Keelan. He's all right for a
1: mick. <laughs> all
4: right. I I am. I I am one. (laughs) Um. So. Uh. Anybody else? Uh. Brennan. Uh. Ken. Too many Kens. I keep getting.
5: (laughs) Well, I have a I have a book coming out. I think it's November twelfth or thirteenth from uh, Journalstone called Storm Shadows. It's a it's a shorter novel, uh, young adult kind of coming of age thing and uh. And then I have a couple more coming out through Ken that are reprints uh, possibly later this year that we're working on right now that are like a, a collective of, uh, of longer fiction.
4: Right on, right on. And that's, there's another thing that you guys can take to the bank about Silver Shamrock. Is, um, a lot, And a lot of you will know this already. Um, when, you know, they're savvy enough to pick up something like Bowdoin's uh, Jedi Summer. Um, it's a pretty good indicator that they know what the fuck they're doing because that is a killer, killer, killer. The I'm shocked that it wasn't already picked up. Yeah. lucky to good. Um, yeah, take that luck, definitely, because it's... When you said that you picked it up, I was like, wait, it wasn't available? <laughs> you because know, yeah. how is that possible?
5: Yeah. It's a great story, and, and, uh, and you know, he added, he added some author notes to this, and, um, albeit brief, but, you know, it's just kind of nice to have that insight into the, uh, I mean, this story is all about brother and brother relationship, and there's there's something beautiful about that uh, childhood experience, so definitely, if you haven't read it, pick it up and check it out.
4: Yes, absolutely, and uh, everything else Silver Shamrock publishes, um, uh, watch out for uh, Brendan's book forthcoming and pick that fucker up um, and if you haven't read the other works by these guys I highly suggest you start right back within the scrape and unfuck that situation <laughs> and hey there's, there's, a, there's a landmark moment there to end the show on too is uh, Ken McKinley is the first person to ever turn around and say well you need to unfuck that Shane It's an anniversary. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Love you guys. Um, I hope we talk to you again soon and uh, keep doing what you do. You are industry heroes, in my opinion.
5: Thanks for having us on.
4: (laughs) Thanks, Shane. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. Yep. Have a good night. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing?